open up, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. And I hope it's very clear to everybody now that Galatians is all about justification by faith alone. Because we all have a problem. We all have a problem. We are, we are sinners and this sin separates us from our source of life. It separates us from God. And because we willfully choose to rebel against God, we make ourselves enemies of the very God who created us. And the ultimate life question, and it's not just a question that we ask, it's not a question that is unique to our time, but it's a question that all cultures throughout history have been asking. All people have this innate sense that our sinfulness separates us from a holy God. And so the question that we, along with all of humanity, have been asking is, how can we be made right with God? How can we be reconciled to our creator and to our source of life? And throughout history, the chorus of humanity in general has been, well, we've got to earn our way back. We've got to do something. We've got to work ourselves back into right relationship with God. But as followers of Christ, in the message of Galatians and the gospel is that we cannot do that. That the gap between us and God is far too great for any efforts on our part to bridge. It reminds me so much of Romans 10, where Paul is reflecting on those who would try to be justified by the law. And he says, hey, this is based in ignorance. They being ignorant of the holiness of God are trying to be reconciled through the wrong means and methods. That any attempt to, on our part to work our way back into right relation with God is based on the ignorance of God's holiness, an ignorance of his standard, in ignorance of our sinfulness and how far we fall short. Once these things are understood, the need for the gospel that Paul gives us through, the, through Galatians and throughout scripture is that we need God's mercy. We need a savior. And praise God that he's extended that mercy and that forgiveness to us. The penalty for our sin has been paid through the death of Jesus Christ. So that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Paul's been teaching us through this letter to the Galatians. Is that our justification cannot take place through the law. It's impossible. It's impossible because of God's holiness. It's impossible because of his holy standard. It's impossible because of our sinfulness. Our only hope for justification is by grace through faith. Now, how many of you have shared the gospel with somebody and their interpretation of what you shared was, wait a second, so all I have to do is believe and then I can go live my life however I want? Like, the, this faith in Christ is just a hall pass or a license to go do anything you want and then God has to forgive you? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and that was how they interpreted what you said? I've had it happen. I've had it happen at work where I've shared the gospel with somebody and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Like God just has to forgive me because I say I believe. No, that, that's a misunderstanding of what takes place when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? 
The answer to that is no, absolutely not. Because when we come to faith in Christ, that happens because the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, God himself, has come to dwell within us, to change us, to give us spiritual life, new life. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new, create, new creatures, new creation in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us a new nature. Now, our glorification is not complete while we live in this earth, though, right? This new creation, the Holy Spirit in our new nature it's housed within this unredeemed flesh. Now, one day our glorification will be complete. At the resurrection, we will have new bodies that aren't tainted with the effects of sin. But for now, for now, this new nature, this new creation in the Holy Spirit dwells within our unredeemed flesh. And the challenge that we all face every single day, you and I experience it every single day, we've experienced it this morning already, is that this unredeemed flesh still has a lot of unredeemed desires. And as we've gotten into Galatians 5, and you think about what we've learned the past two weeks, and what we're going to talk about this morning and talk about ne next week, is that there's this war often going in our, in our lives between the desires of our unredeemed flesh and this new life that we have through the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. And the new desires that we have because we are new creations in Christ. And while we have a choice, these two desires battle within us. On the one hand, the desire that we have because of our love for God and our love for Jesus Christ to live the life that he's called us to, to live a life infused with, empowered by, driven by the Holy Spirit. We have that desire if you're a follower of Christ. That's the deep, sincere desire of your heart. But we still feel the influence and the desires of our unredeemed flesh. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is talking about how these things come in to conflict with one another. That's what we experience every day. A point of application that Drew gave us last week, I, I, I took it from his notes, was walk proactively daily in the way God's word has instructed us, depending fully on the Holy Spirit for the power to take each step towards our goal of being complete with Christ in glory. We have a daily, and I would say, hour-by-hour hour decision that we have to make as followers of Christ, that we are going to purposefully pursue life in the spirit and not life in the flesh. It's a choice that we have to make. And this entails that we know the things to pursue. And just like Drew's statement said last week, God's word has instructed us. Don't take for granted the gracious thing that God's word is, our, is for our lives. We know the things that we are to pursue because God has told us. God wants his people to know who he is and how we are to live. Think about the Israelites. God chooses them 
and takes them out of slavery. And who does he do that by? Through Moses, right? It was the power of God, but God used Moses, a prophet, so that he could not only choose and take his people out of slavery, but he could also tell them how he wants them to live. And that's where we get the Old Testament law, right? It's the same thing for us. We come to Christ and he, he saves us. He redeems us out of that slavery to sin, out of that slavery to our flesh. Because before we have this new life in the Holy Spirit, we don't have a choice in how we're to live. We are slaves to the flesh, slaves to sin. But God in his grace redeems us. The Holy Spirit takes us out of that slavery to the flesh and shows us how he wants us to live. And in Galatians chapter 5 today, we're going to look at verses 19 to 21. And if you take this really in context with this whole passage, and we'll read the whole passage in a moment. We're going to focus on verses 19 and 21 this, through 21 this morning. But we'll read the whole passage here because the whole passage is important. It's where Paul is saying that for you who are in Christ, here's a picture of what life in the flesh looks like. And here's a picture of what life in the spirit looks like. Pursue life in the spirit and put off life in the flesh. The Bible always does that. The Bible always says, put off this stuff, turn away from this, pursue this. So I'm going to read for us verses 16 to 24 before we go focus in on verses 19 to 21. Galatians 5 says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Great passage. And again, our focus this morning is on the unfun part the flesh. I don't know who, I don't know what I did, you know, but the, it, it's a, there's three questions I want to walk us through though. Three questions I want to ask to kind of guide our conversation. Question number one, what are the deeds of the flesh? Question number two, what is the condemning behavior? And question number three, what is the condemning outcome? Those are going to be the three questions we ask as we look at verses 19 to 21. The first question, what are the deeds of the flesh? Verse 19, I'll read them off for you again. 
The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now, I'm not going to go through and define each of these for you and uh, go through and talk about each of them individually. There, there's nothing complicated, right? I think we look at those, those things and we know what most of those things are and can look them up in a dictionary if not. But let's make three observations. Three observations as we look at this list that really jump out to me. First of all, I'd say there's three broad categories that this list falls into. The first of these categories, sensual, physical pleasures, right? Um, He says immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, carousing. These are things, these sensual, physical pleasures, and we see it all around us. These things become enslaving. Look at that list. And as you look at that list, we can all think of examples either of times in our own lives before we were redeemed or in the lives of people that we know in the world around us. These things enslave people. When we talk about being slaves to the flesh, you look at drugs, you look at alcohol, you look at sexuality, these things enslave people. They take a controlling aspect of people's lives where they wake up and it's the first thought, how am I going to pursue my pleasure? And you know they're slaves to it because how often do you find people that in a sense pursue these things against their will? They know it's destroying their lives. They see the death and the ramifications of these things and yet they cannot help it. Some of these things, uh, you think of sexual pleasure, that's not even in and of itself sinful. It's when these things have gone outside of the bounds of what God has created them for. They become enslaving. A second broad category here is just from a religious standpoint. Sorcery, idolatry. Again, look at the course of human history. Atheism is really an anomaly, you know? if they're really, that you rarely come across people who are like, yeah, I don't believe in anything. Most people have a sense of the divine, a sense that we are here for some reason bigger than us. The problem is, apart from God's gracious revelation of himself, we get it wrong. That's why throughout the course of human history, people have had false God after false gods, and they have had an endless stream of ideas on how can I make myself right with God. And we have any number of false systems of religion. A third broad category that we see here is just interpersonal relationships, right? Strife, enmities, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. We don't have to look hard to see examples of this. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Hostility and hatred. 
The second observation I would point out here is that this list is not exhaustive. That's why Paul says, and things like these. So it's not like you can say, well, how about, I don't see this on the list. I guess it's okay. No, Paul, what he's doing here is not giving us an exhaustive list of sins or vices. Instead, remember this passage as a whole. He's painting a picture for us. Here's what life in the spirit looks like. Here's what life in the flesh looks like. You as a follower of Christ have been infused with the Holy Spirit. You have life in the Holy Spirit. Pursue that life and put off the works of the flesh. The third observation I would make for us here is we are all guilty. We are all guilty. I can find some on the list that, at least to my knowledge, I'm not, like sorcery, you know, like I can't even watch Lord of the Rings. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I mean, Gandalf starts shooting off fireworks and doors start dancing around. I'm like, I'm done. I I don't have, I can't get into this. So like to my knowledge, I've never struggled with sorcery. Drunken carousing, like a good idea, like a good night for me is bed by 10 o'clock, right? So like whatever happens after 10 o'clock, everybody else can have that. Like, so drunken carousing, not one that I would look at and say, yes, this is one that I'm struggling with or one that I am guilty guilty of. But the vast majority of what's in this list, I'm going to struggle with from time to time. And especially if I'm looking at God's standard, which is the only standard that matters, right? There is no other standard that matters. But if I look at this list and then consider God's standard, it's tough. It's tough. I recognize and feel my flesh. What is God's standard? Well, it goes much deeper than the external. It goes much deeper than the external. It's about what's going on in your heart. Listen to what Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Jesus says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Now that sounds like a pretty easy standard to keep, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now that's a standard. That's a standard that I can't keep. Or what's he say about adultery? Again, most of us would say that's a a pretty easy external goal. Don't commit adultery. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, 28. Same Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, when I look at Paul's list here in Galatians chapter 5, and when I think of the only standard that matters, which is God's standard, this becomes very, very convicting. If we kept it at a superficial external level, 
I would guess that most people would say, I'm probably doing all right. Like if we went around this group and they were like, hey, is Brandon externally a pretty decent guy? Undoubtedly, if you know me well, you'd be able to point out plenty of flaws. But most of you would say, yeah, Brandon does pretty well, right? Brandon doesn't have any glaring external flaws. My social circle, my family, you could even go to work and ask the people I work with, hey, what's Brandon like? They say, yeah, Brandon's, in fact, they'd probably tell you I'm too nice of a guy. They're always telling me, be bossier, be meaner. So, you know, I think you walk around, most people would say from an external level, Brandon's doing a pretty good job. He doesn't have any glaring flaws. But boy, am I glad that you cannot see my heart. And I'm, I'm okay with being open about this because if you all are honest, Aren't you glad that people can't see within your heart, right? Like, aren't you glad that people only see what you filter out and put out on the outside? Because the reality is that we all struggle. I was telling Wade before that this passage being on my mind all week, I felt like I was walking around with a shock collar on, like a dog. Because, like, I would do something, like yell at my kids, and I'd be like, ah, outburst of anger. Or like, like I'd be in traffic and somebody would make me bad. And, uh, you know, there's just these, you, you, the flesh, we struggle. We struggle. And if we're honest, it's within us every day. We have to fight. We have to battle. Like Drew said, this is going to take an hour-by-hour hour decision on our part to live in the power of the Spirit and put off the activity of the flesh. So when I see immorality and sensuality, I'm going to have to go back to what Jesus said and do a lot of what he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, chopping off hands and plucking off eyes. Like That's why we live in a world that bombards me with temptation in that area, right? And so there's going to be things at work that I refuse to do because I don't like the circumstances it puts me into and the temptations. I, there's going to be uh, situations that I won't allow and people that perhaps I won't interact with or I'm going to interact with in a very guarded way because we have to make the decision to pursue the things that are in the flesh, or I'm sorry, <laughs> pursue the things of the spirit, put off the things that are in the flesh and, and put ourselves in the circumstances that um, are wise and help us to do that. When it comes to idolatry, to my knowledge, I've never willfully chosen to bow down to something else or worship something else. To my knowledge, I've never done that. But I can promise you, it is often that the things of this world compete with God for superiority in my life. And I struggle with the things of the flesh. I have to always be on guard. I mean, I look at all of verse 20, or the second half of it there, um, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Generally, I get along with people pretty well. And I try really hard to love people. But sometimes it's hard. Interpersonal things are not always easy. So when I think of God's standard of righteousness and what he expects in my heart, and I look through this list, many of these things I'm going to often fall short of. Day after day, it is a struggle. And what does James 2.10 tell us? If you keep the whole law, yet stumble in one part, you become guilty of all. You're a sinner. So I can't look at this and say, yeah, sorcery, 
I feel pretty good there. I'm okay. No, James would say, okay, so you're not, a, you're not into that stuff. All right, what about the rest of the list? You are a sinner. That's the bottom line. I am a lawbreaker in desperate need of a savior. And praise God that he has provided one. Praise God. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And I'm confident in my Savior that despite so many shortcomings, I have eternal life. So how can I have that confidence, though? Because Paul says here, he gives this list of things that I admittedly struggle with day after day. And he says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how can I have confidence in my Savior? How can I have confidence in an eternity in the kingdom of God? Well, that brings us to our second question. What is the condemning behavior? What exactly is Paul warning us against here? He says in verse 21, I have forewarned, or I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The key word here that we're going to get at is practice. The key word is practice. But before we get into that too much, notice that none of this should come as a surprise to the Galatians. And if you've spent any time studying the Bible, hearing the gospel, this really shouldn't come as a surprise to you because Paul's preached the Gala or to the Galatians the gospel before. We've heard the gospel before. And the call of the gospel is always a call to repentance, right? It's always a call to recognize sin and to turn away from sin, to recognize our sinfulness, to repent of it, turn away from it, to follow Jesus Christ. So really, this is more of a reminder here. And the key word is practice. It's not those who sin per se who will not inherit the kingdom of God because who has sinned? Everyone, right? If the standard is anything other than the righteous life of Jesus Christ applied to our life, we are all without hope. If the problem here is that, hey, if you sin, you're not yet into the kingdom of God, we're all done. God's kingdom will be empty of everyone but Christ. But it's those who practice such things that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and the Greek word here is important because something that is practiced is something that is done is a habitual lifestyle defining who that person is. It is somebody who carries on this activity in such a way that it is their life. It is who they are. Let me give you another, there's a few other times this is used in the Bible that we'll look at. I think one very instructive time is Acts 19.19. 19. It's in Ephesus that Paul has preached the gospel. And as a result, the people who were struggling with sorcery there, people who were magicians, they went about burning their books, their, their spell books, and their, 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 but they were called those who practiced magic in Acts 19.19. 19. They were known as magicians because that is what they did. Their lives were built on sorcery, 
and built on being magicians. So they practiced magic. That's who they were. That's what they were defined as. It wasn't something they dabbled in. It wasn't a side hobby. That's who they were. Some other times where it's the same Greek word, but it's translated differently. And, but I think you'll see it says the same thing Paul is saying here. John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus says, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear God's voice and will come forth. And those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. It's actually the exact same Greek word there, those who committed evil deeds. It's not those who, you know, they sin, but it's those whose lives were defined by unrepentant sin who will not inherit the kingdom of God. In John 3.20, Jesus says the same thing. John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That word does, everyone who does evil, it's the same word that Paul is using in Galatians for practice. It's those whose lives are defined by unrepentant sin. When there's no repentance, it is evident that the Holy Spirit is not in your life. The Holy Spirit has not given you new life is the unrepentant practice of sin. Romans 1.32, Paul gives um, a list of sins in chapter 1 of Romans. And he says, those who practice such things are worthy of death. And we use this term also in this way in our own day, right? Like when we talk somebody who practices a certain profession, it is somebody whose life is committed to that profession. It's not a hobby of theirs. It's not something they do on the side, but they've committed themselves to high le- learning a high level of technical skill, investing highly in a certain discipline, and then putting that knowledge into practice. So if you go to court, you want somebody who practices law. A lawyer. You don't want somebody who's like Googling the answers, right? You want somebody who knows and puts into practice that action. They're known as a lawyer. Or when you go to get medical care, you want somebody who practices medicine. Dr. Morris, who teaches in here a lot of times, we call him a radiologist because he has invested a very large part of his life in learning medicine and learning the skills and discipline of radiology and puts that into practice every day as a way of life. So we call him a radiologist. It's not a hobby for him or something that he dabbles in. It's something that he has a deep level of expertise in and puts it into practice. On the other side of things, nobody has ever called me an electrician. Now, is there a time or two where my wife has bought something and been like, hey, can you put this new light fixture up? And I YouTube it and I do my best and I take a lot of guesses and so far the house hasn't burned down, but nobody's gonna call me an electrician, right? Or a plumber, I did put in a sink once. I tried a dishwasher and it didn't work. I had to call a real plumber. Nobody would call me a plumber or a mechanic despite the fact that I can change brake pads, kind of. Um, You see the difference here. 
those that are being condemned here, when Paul talks about those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, it's those whose lives are defined by habitual, unrepentant living in the flesh. They don't struggle with sin. The struggle we've been talking about this morning, the struggle that Paul's talking about in Galatians 5, they don't struggle with that. They just live in the flesh. They just live in the flesh. This, what we see in verse 17 of Galatians 5, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. We know that experience, right? Because we fall back into the flesh and we hate it. We hate it. It ruins our day. We, we instantly repent and feel sorry about it. But when the spirit's absent, that struggle, that battle isn't there. They live habitually in unrepentant sin, which is evidence that the Holy Spirit is not in them. And as Paul tells us in Romans, if the spirit of Christ is not in you, then you do not belong to Christ. And this struggle isn't to be confused with worldly regret, right? Because we do know people who perhaps their drunkenness has become a real obstacle in life. And so, you know, they go get help and they're like, hey, this drunkenness, I can't function in my job. I can't function with my family. I, I got to go get help. Or, you know, I mean, interpersonal problems create some real inconvenience. But you deciding to try to make a change in life from a help, self-help perspective, that's not the gospel. That's not godly repentance. That's not coming to a place of recognizing that, hey, my sin separates me from the very God I was created to glorify and to enjoy, and I hate it. I want, I, I want to be a follower of Christ. That's godly repentance, just self-help. And frankly, in those circumstances where people just change a bad habit, they usually just replace it with something else. There's no spiritual life there. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Their practice is life in the flesh. So that brings us to our third question. What is the condemning outcome? Paul makes it clear at the end of verse 21. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The outcome is they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you long for the kingdom of God? Do you recognize that this current world is not all there is? And that it is temporary? If you are only investing in this world, do you realize your life is a waste? Because I don't really care how much you build up in this world and how great you become in this world. Up against the kingdom of God and eternity, it is meaningless. Our call, our only hope is in God's eternal kingdom because everything in this world is temporary, is fading away, is passing. 
this world will end, a new eternal kingdom, and the new heavens, a new earth is coming. And unless we repent of our sin, repent of life in the flesh, and ask God to help us live life in his spirit, we do not get into that kingdom. Think, I, I, I like the way Peter kind of ties all this together. Second Peter chapter 3. It's really hard to figure out when I look at this passage which verses to read and which ones to not read. So um, it's hard to choose, but I'm going to choose a few. We're going to look at verse 7 and then verses 10 to 14. Peter says this. By his word, by God's word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Hop down to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Do you see that Peter is essentially saying the same thing that Paul's saying in Galatians chapter 5? Look, this world is fading away. The kingdom of God, his eternal kingdom, is where all our hope lies. And the only ones that will be there will be those who have chosen to repent of their current flesh, repent of their sins, and put their faith in Jesus Christ, something which only the Holy Spirit can enable you to do. I think of Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and then the next verse in chapter 21, where John is looking at the, the throne of judgment, and God has his book of life open, and he says, whoever's name was not written, found written in that book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire not inheriting the kingdom of God. And then John sees new heavens and new earth where God's eternal kingdom will reign. Paul is calling us here to live a life infused by the Holy Spirit. So in applying this, there's really just two types of people, right? We've talked about that many times those who are in Christ and those who are not. Those who have come to a place where they, they look at this list of sins and they say, you know, I fall far short of God's standard. God's holiness, my life is sinful and I need a savior. When you come to that place, that is the Holy Spirit giving you new life. When you come to a place of faith in Christ, that is the Holy Spirit coming into your life, 
moving you from a place of death to a place of spiritual life. And if you have not come to that place, I beg you, evaluate your life up against God's standard and recognize how woefully short you fall. Because uh, you cannot earn your way into heaven. At no point will you be able to live a life of righteousness that meets God's standard. You need somebody else's righteousness. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life, lived the life that we could never live so that through faith in him, what the Holy Spirit does within you is he gives you faith in him so that his perfect life of righteousness is applied to your account. You are hidden in the righteousness of Christ. The penalty that must be paid for your sin, Christ pays that penalty so that you are now just justified before God by faith in Christ. That is the message of Galatians. And that's point of application number one. If your life is defined by unrepentant life in the flesh, then Paul would call you somebody here who practices unrighteousness and will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the rest of us, though, think about the context of what Galatians 5 is all about. Paul is talking about our choice that we have to make, as Drew said last week, day after day, hour by hour, to live by the Spirit to live by the Spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. You have a choice. You're no longer a slave to the flesh. You no longer have to do the things of the flesh, but the Spirit lives within you to enable you to live the life of fellowship with God that you were called to live. And isn't it such a blessed feeling when you're walking right with God and when you're living in obedience with Him? Don't you hate when you fall back into the flesh and you do those things of the flesh and you're like, ah, I'm doing that old way again. I hate that. No, you can live a life in the spirit. Our call is day after day, hour by hour to pursue that, to pursue that. I love the way Peter puts it, 2 Peter 3.11, what we just read. He's talking about this world is fading away Our hope is in God's eternal kingdom. And since these things are to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? As followers of Christ, what kind of people should we be? We should be people that are passionately pursuing him, not investing in this world, not investing in things that are fading away, but investing in his kingdom. Investing in our own spiritual health daily, just sucking in his word and consuming his word, daily praying, daily involved in the lives of others, and especially in the lives of other believers, serving one another, loving one another as the body of Christ, glorifying him, live out the life that God has called us to. Like Paul told the Philippians, work out your salvation. Don't work for your salvation because you can't, but that salvation that you do have because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, live that out, work that out. Unfortunately, the flesh will continue to be with us until the day that we die 
or God takes us up to heaven early. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that, a reality we're going to deal with, but we can choose to live life in the spirit. And when we fall short, we repent again. We repent every day. We go back to our savior every day for a new dose of grace, a new dose of forgiveness. And in his love, he gives that to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you enable us to know you and to love you and that you are so gracious to reveal yourself to us and to give us your word and to show us how you want us to live and how to walk in fellowship with you. And I pray that you would help us to live that life filled with the spirit, driven and infused with the spirit, submitting day by day, hour by hour, to the Spirit's control in our lives. And we thank you so much for your grace and your forgiveness when we inevitably fall short and when we inevitably go back to acting like we're in the flesh. We love you. Pray that you'd focus our hearts on loving one another and on worshiping you for the rest of this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.